writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. In this episode of Right Pack Radio, the Right Pack are going to discuss the Writer's Library and what books we have and what books we suggest. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host, producer, David Allen Lucas. Currently caught up in the midst of Daniel Rimel and already way behind, but it's only been three days. And yeah. How those many days, thousand words is that day? Well, how many thousand words is Daniel Rimel, or how many thousand words have I done? How many are you behind already? Well, I've only gotten 3,100 some odd words done. He needs to be at 6,668 by the end of today. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen because I've lost two days out of the last three days. However, I will be, um, I'm known to sprint like crazy when I write, when I can. So I hope to have that plus all made up before the end of next week. Maybe I'll I get have enough faith to... in you, Dave. You can do it. Yay. Yeah. You can do that. And some people have seen me actually pull that off for 6,000 words a day. Yes, it's sustaining it. Yes, I know. <laughs> I agree. So anyway, moving right along, also with me back today is my lovely co-host. Hi, my name is Kathleen Kayembe. I write speculative fiction and queer romance. Um, you can find my work in Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines. And um, most recently, a reprint of my novelette, You Will Always Have Family, a Triptych, in... Year's Best Weird Fiction, Volume 5, edited by Robert Sherman and Michael Kelly. Excellent. Also with us today is, of course, my lovely wife, who Hi. writes... <laughs> I'm Melanie Lucas. I am also behind in NaNoWriMo, but I'm, like, really behind. I've only done, like, you know, less than 500 words, but I've done something. And I have a secret uh, strategy for maybe achieving it, but uh, I'll reveal it later in the month. So okay. We'll see. I'm curious. And also with us is our Madame of Murder and Mayhem herself. I just want to say to Melanie that I think NaNoWriMo, even if you don't make a single day of having your quota, mm-hmm. is worthwhile yeah. if it gets you off of dead center and you do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know Agreed. I believe in baby steps anyway. But I am uh, Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunits like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis and Mayhem at Buffalo Bill's Wild West. And coming in 2019, have your ticket punched by Frank James. I am also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. And I just got back from Magna Cum Murder, where I had an excellent time. I was on a couple of panels and met a lot of people that I was glad to know. I like that convention a lot because it's for writers, but also for readers. Very cool. So it's kind of like BoucherCon, but different. I mean, it's different. But much smaller. It's much smaller. But the audience-wise. Yeah. The audience-wise. Cool. I don't know why I I always keep forgetting to announce on President Stainless Writers Guild. (laughs) Just falls away from me. So also, speaking of presidents, let me present the king of the trombones and snakes. I'm uh, Ryan T. Freeman. I write like fantasy. Uh, Three different current works out. Uh, Fantasy 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 um, I will be having a uh, book signing for an illustrated version of my short story, uh, The Trombones and Monks, hence the, uh, the, the Snakes and Trombones at Main Two Books uh, in Quincy, Illinois, Black Friday. And um, um, hopefully this spring I will hear the good news that my my first traditionally published uh, book, The Nameless, can be traditionally published, so we will find out. Um, and I'm also the founder and president of the War. Excellent. And also with me is a Sky Admiral of Pirates of a, of a Victorian age and former president of St. Louis Writers Guild and currently a historian. Yes, I am Brian R. Cook. Uh, I do write many a thing, usually a steampunk thing. Uh, I do have a collection of steampunk short stories coming out in the very near future, so it might be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, find out at bradarchive.com. Excellent. So I know we've talked about in the past um, 
what books are in our libraries, and we've been asked again for for that topic. So let's talk about what books are in a writer's library and what ones are in our personal library that may that we know the other one, everyone else in this room or that are coming to us live online would not have. So I'm going to throw out, of course, the very first one I think everybody should ever have is Trunk and White by uh, literally that name, Trunk and White. It's, it's a grammar book. It is a very short, very fast, very boring if you actually read, read, but it has all your most of your answers to any grammar question out there. And I have to admit, I used to, in my old job, I would usually walk this book over <laughs> to some co-workers who were writing stuff going, please read. <laughs> anyway. And it's called The Elements of Style. Thank you. I couldn't. I've, <laughs> I'm so used to calling it Strunk and White. I'm like, ugh. And I was trying to think. William Strunk, right? And E.B. White. And E.B. Yes. White. I was making sure I had the right first name of Strunk. Anyway, so that's one. What about, what are some other books out there? Well, why don't we start with just some basic reference mm-hmm. books. Some uh, dictionaries, for example. And I have one that I think is especially useful for historicals that I would recommend. It's Random House's Webster's Unabridged Dictionary. And the reason why I like it for historicals is that for a great many of the entries, it has the date when that particular word came into use. And that is, is just a wonderful thing for anybody who tries to do historicals because then you can check and see when people talked about uh, what what is some topic? Issues. Yeah. When people had issues. In the 1950s, they did not have issues. They had problems. They had difficulties, but they did not have issues. So the use of the word issue not naming a magazine was a new thing. And when it came into use that way, you would find out in this particular unabridged dictionary. Random House, Webster's, unabridged. Yeah, and, that, and words, have, words have changed their meaning over time. And if you listen to this broadcast long enough, you'll know my favorite one I pick on, which is the word dude. Nowadays refers to people. Less than 100 years ago referred to butt pimples. So don't ask me how that got changed. Moving on to Ryan. More dictionaries, please. Well, um, actually, I was going to say, it's a book that a lot of people don't know that's out there. Uh, it's, it's an academic uh, series of lectures turned into a book by C.S. Lewis called On Words. Really good. And it, it tracks uh, how English language changes over time. Um, and it's really fascinating, especially... You know, like I read High Fantasy, so I'm reading mythology, I'm reading myth, I'm reading legend, trying to find as much source material as possible, and to understand um, some of how language changes, but also how stories change. Um, the insight, of course, I just like being in C.S. Lewis's mind when I read it, has mm-hmm. uh, really helped me. Back to Fedora. Black's Law Dictionary, for yes. if you want anything that uh, needs a very concrete and very specific kind of definition that relates to the law. Black's Law Dictionary is a huge dictionary, but it's relatively easy to use, even if the entries may not be that easy to understand necessarily. But you can do it, I'm sure. Yep. So Black's Law Dictionary for anything that has to do with law, courtroom, procedure, and the like. Excellent. And since we're, I'm going to segue, and said before, um, we're not just going to talk about the reference books that everybody would have, but we'll talk about some of the books we might have personally. Another good one, if you ever write historical books that deal with anything legal issues in the American colonies or, for that matter, in, um, in England during the 1700s, there's a four-book volume series uh, on the English common law, who by William, oh, no, I just forgot his last name. Crap, my apologies. I am going to go look this up. Uh, but anyway, it is written in old English at that time period. I don't mean, oh, a the and that and William Shakespeare old English. 
But it does take a moment to get used to reading the language because the writing is an old style what I mean. For example, when you write an S in English, we all know what an S looks like today. That curvy thing. Well, that S was curvy in the front of a, front of a word or at the end of a word. But if it was in the middle of a word, it looked like an F. Just as one example. So it, it takes time to get used to that. So, also to back to reference book, Rogard's, I'm going to mispronounce it, I'm having one of those days, Rogard's Thesaurus. Roger's. Roger's, thank you. I told you I'm having a day. But that is a huge, huge reference. Over to Ryan. Ryan. You're on, you're on mute, sir. I know, sorry, I felt the button, that wasn't coming off. Okay, um... I know you, 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 you guys seem to have the actual books. I, I, for the most part, don't. I, I use online resources, not like when younger or whatever, but, like, I would, I don't think a lot, a lot of stuff because a lot of, like, I like a grammar book from the college because I have to. <laughs> uh, I tend, I tend to look for examples or I look up things online. Okay. See, the problem with, I'm going to go with that, is sometimes online changes on you. Um, real fast, I, thanks to online, though, I did find the guy's name. The book, the book series is called The Commentaries on the Laws of England, and it was written by Sir William Blackstone, 1765 to 1769. I am going, are you dovetailing? For what Brian said. Okay, and are you dovetailing too? So we got two dovetails. Um, let me go Kathleen and then Melanie. Um, I, I think there is an argument for both online and, uh, hard copy Uh books. For example, the Chicago Manual of Style, I'm not going to buy in hard copy. They update the online Chicago Manual of Style all the time. That is something that makes sense to get as an online subscription for me. But like, there are other things that are not available, um, as ebook copies or Mm -hmm. just online in general. Like I have books of, uh, Congolese folklore that I will not be able to find online, or at least not in English. Um, books on uh, clothing across the ages and why clothing changed in various regions with, you know, things like industrialization or different inventions or different trade routes. So, I mean, um, there's plenty you can find out online about those things, but books and, and cases like those will be much more specific and detailed and have references that I might not be able to get online. So, I mean, yeah. I have a giant library, and I have a giant library of bookmarks on my computer, and I don't see a reason you can't have both. I agree, and I don't mean to sound like I'm throwing the online off the cliff, because I'm not. It's just, yeah, I wanted, it's just a simple caution. Go ahead. I wanted to more or less expand on what you said, Kathleen. In my work and writing, I use online stuff a lot to confirm what I already mm-hmm. remember. I do this especially for grammar or spelling. It's like I know when it's right, but I like to look it up just like, yeah, that's the right thing. And if it doesn't look right, that still doesn't click to be right with me. But yeah, in certain things, it depends on what you're, what the story is about. Mm-hmm. Some things online is great and you have a ton of resources. Other things, I've been looking for fairy tales and the common things online. Huge resources. But if you want to go just slightly off the common path, I'm sure it's available online somewhere. But then you actually get into the case where maybe online will point you to some books that you can then find in your library. To then, But the actual detailed information you want isn't actually easily accessible online because it goes beyond the Wikipedia references. Yeah. Over to Fedora, then to Brad, then to Ryan. In, in helping with that, perhaps, is a book that I came across and I find a use for very frequently. It's called Reader's Digest Illustrated Reverse Dictionary. And it allows you to start with a definition. For example, if you want to know the name of an airplane brake, you look up brake and it will eventually lead you to flap which is properly called a deceleron. (laughs) So if you want the actual name of it, you can get there using a reverse dictionary. And I don't know that there are a lot of those online, are there? 
I don't know. Somewhere there probably is because everything's available. What's the name of an airline break? Or an yeah. You pop up. The, you know, so. It will also yeah, give an entire I'm illustration. Very good for those kinds of things. It will also give an entire illustration so you can see the other parts of the plane at the same time. Yeah. And I've got a dovetail first coming up, so I'm going to go to Kathleen and then over to Brad. Yeah, um, Google is great with what is blank called, but there are also um, visual dictionaries that are wonderful where you can, as Fedora mentioned, you know, see all the different parts of the plane uh, with, you know, tags, mm -hmm. what they're all called. Mm -hmm. You can go from there to wherever you want. Yep. Somebody who shall remain nameless just got a book with a bunch of diagrams about a submarine. Yeah, well, I was going to talk about that in a bit <laughs> when we get to it. Okay, Brad, over to you. Yeah, I was going to throw out my favorite resource. Well, I guess my two favorite resources for writers. Uh, both of them are books, but I think actually both of them are available online as well, uh, maybe for free as PDFs or something. But anyway, uh, it is The Emotional Thesaurus. Yes. Uh, it is a writer's guide to characters' expression by Angela Ackerman and uh, Becca Puglisi. Yep. Uh, but uh, I have to say it is a wonderful book because it gives you the entire range of human emotion uh, beautifully laid out and easy to choose from. So uh, it is a wonderful, wonderful thing when you're trying to add emotion into your books uh, and, you know, bring in, kind of bring out that character. Uh, the other one I would throw out is Punctuation for Writers uh, by Harvey Stambrow, mm -hmm. uh, which I totally think you can get for free uh, if you uh, uh, go out there and search for it. But anyway, it is a wonderful, quick grammar guide for writers, it's just kind of one of those good to have in your back pocket books uh, for when you need to look something up. However, lastly, I would totally put up that I too, just like Ryan, uh, anytime I have a question, the first place I always go is the internet, and I ask uh, Mr. Google where it, uh, or Mr. Google, I don't know, uh, ask Google where it is, and uh, then from there I will totally break out, because to me, if I'm going to read a whole book about a subject, uh, even if that subject is a comma, Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I know, like, you know, the book is going to be my last step on that, uh, where I'm going to go to get the most information. Okay, I've got to dovetail myself into Brad, then it's going to go to Ryan, then over to Kathleen, then over to Fedora. Um, real quick, uh, you mentioned those two authors' names. Please repeat those names for me, Brad. So say uh, it is Angela Ackerman and Becca Puglisi. Thank you. They have also written several other books, including yes. Positive Character Traits, Negative Character Traits. Check out their website. They even have some, unless their website's changed a bit since last no, time I looked at it. Them. They're on Amazon, too. You right. can find them all. But The Emotional Thesaurus is my favorite of them. And they've got stuff about how to help describe, describe um, even fire or any other elements, like a wind, like a storm, and so forth. Over to you, Kathleen. Oh, sorry. Over to you, Ryan. Then Kathleen. Then Fedora. Ryan. Um, I think it's important when you say you know, like writers with like police um, what we mean. Like, I typically don't do it like encyclopedic nonfiction when I'm looking up things. Uh, I usually start with style. Like, so for example, every year I read Lord of the Rings just because I love it, but also because. I want to immerse myself in that sort of mythic writing so that when I write my own, uh, I carry along uh, voice, fiction, grammar, character, world. Um, and if I do it enough, I can kind of like osmosis immerse myself in it. And then I feel like it comes out, at least how, how I go about it very naturally, I think. Um, instead of looking up how do I do this one thing, because I've been steeping myself in that sort of mythos, uh, I can have it already kind of saturated and took flows out. Over to you, Kathleen. Um, related to that, in a book called Chapter After Chapter by Heather Sellers, one of the things that she recommends when uh, getting ready to write a novel or when writing a novel is reading a hundred books in that genre that are kind of the style or type that you're going for. Like, I haven't ever actually done that for a specific project, but like, over time, I'm pretty sure I've done it for the genres that I that I like writing in the most. So, um, but I had a a bit of a subject change. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, we've been talking about books that we all have in our libraries that we recommend. Um, I have a crap ton of books in my library, and I don't know where to begin recommending them because 
I have books on like writing mechanics and craft. I have books on writing inspiration and nurturing creativity. I have books on like living a writer's life and memoirs by writers about their lives and then collected letters and things like that or, or journals. I have books on genre specifically and I have books that are research books for specific projects. I have general reference books like, you know, Russian fairy tales, Congolese fairy tales, um, like clothing across the ages, like I mentioned before. So there are a lot of different types of books that I have in my writer's library, just on the shelves. This doesn't even go into articles that I have on um, uh, living transgender in America, for example, or being non-binary in America or like queer history. Um, so those are all things that are in the online library. So like, what what does a writer focus on when beginning to build their own library? Yeah. Anyone else? I'll, I'll just jump it, but okay. the first thing I'm the first thing I'm going to work on from my point of view is what genre am I writing? What is what is it that I am going to write about? I tend to write about science fiction. I tend to write about crime and criminal investigation. So I have got a whole entire sets of libraries that are devoted to books on science. Um, I was going to talk about such a changed subject. I was talking about dictionary of science. I have got oh, forgive me, professor, uh, doctor. God, I can't think of his name. Can't pronounce it. I can see his face. Uh, Japanese American um, futurist. Yes, thank you, Macau Kaku. Kaku. I'm mispronouncing it. Apologize. I've got all his books, which all talk about futuristic aspects of science fiction, of science itself. <clears throat> I've got books about how to live in space. I've got books on um, possible rocket propulsion. And as Melanie indicated earlier, I've got a book now. I've had a couple other books on submarines, but I've got a really good book that breaks down the actual operations inside of a submarine. On the So I've built that library. Then I've got my crime library, as I call it. Books have been written. Well, actually, the paramount of that library is Fundamentals of Criminal Investigation by Charles O'Hara, which has been updated over years, and now someone else is writing it because I believe he's dead. But the version I've got is a complete outline of how to walk you through any criminal investigation. Um, I've got books on forensics, poisons, weapons, Books written by the leading minds of criminal psychology. And that's how I build it. It's as, as I need. And usually, even though my wife will say I'm lying on this, which it's not true, it is true, I will usually look these up in a library first and then decide if, I'm, if I actually want it as part of my library. Um, who wants to follow? I've got Ryan and Brad. So, Ryan, I think you were first. Brad and then Fedora. For me, it's not so much like which which book. Uh, it's it's what I love, what what honestly fascinates me, um, and so um, I try to go from from love to love, from passion to passion. Um, if I get into architecture, uh, then I'll pick up I'll pick up uh, I'll find a book on on, on on architecture. If it's if it's Catholic mythology, then uh, I have my favorite author, Peter Marisbrill, so I pick up a book on him. Like, it's, it's following passion, it's following love, and then it's also learning which writers I feel like have a, like, ring true to me, and then, um, picking up a book on them when I feel the need to learn more on that shop. Okay. Brad, Fedora. Yeah, so uh, I wanted to throw out uh, that I, too, have a library full of books uh, on a million different reference sources, and I think that's kind of something that a lot of writers do. Uh, I think it's, I, don't, I, I think it's uh, in essence, how we absorb our craft. Mm -hmm. But uh, one of the things I want to throw out is coffee table books. I have millions of them uh, on various subjects from Machu Picchu to elephants to... All kinds of crazy. Why? Because they're super cheap at Barnes Noble's bargain bin, uh, Borders bargain bin, and I am a glutton for giant photographs of awesome things. Uh, but 
what it really has done is given me a giant library full of uh, kind of a universe's worth of knowledge, including the universe. Have that book too. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, it's it's to the point where if there's something I want to look up, if there's a reference I need or something like that, there are all these kind of books to turn to. Um, and I think that that's, uh, you know, kind of handy and helpful, uh, especially for a guy like me in the planning stages of writing. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine also for pantsers, uh, when they're in the moment and they need that inspiration to kind of carry them through, uh, that's what some of these books can do. And it's a reason to have books because yes, I can look up a ton of things, but A, uh, the internet is wonky, uh, you know, sometimes. And B, uh, that it is the ability to have it sitting next to the computer that I am then writing on, uh, which is another reason I enjoy the books and the photographs and stuff like that. So shout out to coffee table books, shout out to reference books, uh, shout out to Star Trek engineering manuals, <laughs> because no reason for them, but they're awesome nonetheless. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, gonna you're I'm coming to you for our next. There are some of those um, science fiction books out there, like, for example, Star Trek Engineering ones, that sometimes they've got stuff that actually is based on real, real reality. Heck yeah, it feels it's just, like it's real great. science. You know, I, I feel like I could build a replicator in my back. <laughs> Let me know when you do that. I'm, I'm coming over, okay? Um, over to Fedora, then to Ryan. You know, sometimes I think it's a whole lot easier to use a book than it is to use anything online. Because when, even if you have a whole bunch of words that you put in as descriptors of what you're trying to find, you may end up with hundreds of different possibilities mm -hmm. that you have to pour through and go through. But if you have a favorite book, like, say, a classical dictionary, when you're trying to find out about uh, Roman gods and Greek ones, mm -hmm. And you know that, and you can quickly whip through the index and find what you're looking for and find a long but not too long sketch of exactly what you're looking for, then that is much easier than doing anything online. I would also recommend looking at things in a big cultural way. And for that purpose, I would suggest that you might have a Bible and a concordance to the Bible so that you can find things easily in the Bible, which will uh, be a springboard for something and something cultural. And another that I like is the Dictionary of Global Culture by Apaya and Gates. Yeah, you actually just got what I wanted to uh, dovetail on. You, uh, The Bible and a concordance is a good on... Greco-Roman culture, Western culture, basically. Western culture. But if you are trying to write in a different culture, specifically not Western or um, not Christian, I was thinking if it was in the U.S., for example, even the Bible would still be pretty good because it still influences non-practicing people. Even if they're not Christian, they're uh, influenced by society. But if you're doing either a different society or a different religious background... Are there other references you're aware of? Yeah, the Dictionary yeah. of Global Culture, which is yeah. not about Christianity yeah. at all. It's about uh, African, mostly. Right. Um, actually, we've got two dovetails. I'm going to ask Kathleen about hers first. You're staying on the religion part, or are you staying on this? Okay, so I'll let you go next, Kathleen, and then I'm after you. All right, so I, I had wanted to bring up this book because I do think that there are some books that every writer should have or at least have a passing knowledge of. Um, and one of them is called Writing the Other by Nisi Shaw and Cynthia Ward. Mm -hmm. And um, I bring it up now because it is about writing um, characters that are different from you in some way. Um, there are different spectrums of experience and identity and privilege in every society. And your characters are not all going to match you in every single one of those scales, basically. So writing the other is a good way of um, helping you see where you fit along your society's different spectrums of, of privilege and helping you to, to know how to research people who are not like you and cultures that are not like yours and then write them doing them justice and with honesty and accuracy and respect. Okay. Um, what I was going to talk about is other books that fall into that that are not religious that you would 
for example, one I've got a series of books. I've only got a couple of them, but I know where to get them in the library, and that is The Story of Civilization by Will Durant and eventually Will and Ariel Durant. These were written back in starting 1930s. Uh, they are a series of books that start off with what's called, called the first book is Oriental Heritage, you know, all about Egypt and Mesopotamia, a little bit on China, doesn't really go into China and Japan too much. I think if I remember right, it talks about India. Then it, then the next one's on Greece, and then the next one's on Rome. It goes all the way up to Napoleonic times. So this is Western culture, I'll admit. But it gives a in-depth view of way history and society was working back then. And that's a great view, especially if you're trying to build your own cultures out there in, in the science fiction world. This is an example of... One set of books that would be a good lean to with it. Yes, that would be Western civilization, but there's books out there like that for all, a lot of different cultures. Go for it, Kathleen. Uh, I'm glad that you brought that up. That sort of a uh, book series and and kind of large scale overview type uh, resource. Um, I also want to point out that um, you should you should definitely look to more than one source if you're looking for you know information about a culture. Mm -hmm. um, yes. It's outsiders of a culture will write about a culture in a given way, but like people from inside that culture won't necessarily agree with the outsider perspective and will have a lot more information that is more accurate than someone who is coming into the culture and viewing it from the outside and maybe is not um, privy to, you know, more mm -hmm. secret and close aspects of that culture would have. Over to you, Fedora. As a writer of historicals, I have another suggestion, which somewhat fits into this line, because the viewpoint of people from earlier times is quite different from the ones that we have today. Yes. And to come to any kind of understanding of that, you need to go back in time. I recommend scavenging at these big book fairs, where sometimes... People who have died and have books from a hundred years ago, their books end up on these tables. And I have scavenged some wonderful things from that. A, an encyclopedia from 1932. It's a one-volume complete encyclopedia. Almost impossible to imagine today because even then there was a huge explosion of information. But you have an idea of how much people thought was important and what they thought was important in the 1930s. And another that I very find very useful is a history book, a Missouri history book, which was from 1898. And it's a rather complete one for Missouri history up to then. But once again, it shows what the people were like, what they were doing, what was important, and what was worthwhile in the monetary situation at the time. Right. Ryan, over to you. Well, yeah, kind of springboarding off that, um, I I learned a long time ago that I prefer um, first-hand sources as best as I can, um, whether I'm dealing with, you know, some modern stuff or even, you know, old ancient stuff as best as I can, um, because I don't want somebody else telling me what to think. Um, I like the best possible get into the head of somebody that was there or very close to there. Um, because seeing the world and, and understanding the world through a different brain and different eyes uh, is just fascinating. And I feel like it really brings details out that a lot of times our modern personalities wouldn't really lend to. Um, like in people's book on words, um, uh, I think it was that book, he's, he's briefly talking about how like for for the medieval minds, when they looked up in the night sky, they, they didn't think of space, they saw the earth and, and they saw the, the these heavenly lights. Um and, and it's a it's a different thing to look up in the sky and try to imagine forgetting what we know about space, forgetting how physics works and like seeing it through a medieval mindset or a renaissance mindset. And then work that way of other thinking in the working way. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, this is a slightly different take on that. Um, this isn't so much writing the other, but 
I think this goes to your world building, um, trying to just put your mindset about how different cultures take things differently. I find that reading older science fiction, and when I say older, I don't mean ancient. I mean from the 60s, actually gives you a very interesting view of the world because if you read it, especially if you read a lot of it and read what's popular, not the classics, read what was popular then, is fascinating because when you read it and you look at it through modern eyes, what they found most controversial during the time period, a lot of it we take for granted, and what we think of as anachronistic, they were putting in to be acceptable to the people of the time. This is especially true if you read some of the novelizations of what things were published in the magazines of the time. It was fascinating. It, oh, I forget what I was reading. The author, um, I had all these digitalized things. Um, they were originally published in a magazine, but it was of this space station, and they weren't actually all that good, but again, they were popular, but um, it was a space station where it was a hospital set out in space, and it started out where all the men were doctors and all the women were nurses, and um, you could almost see the time period, because these stories were written over a decade, and there was an implied sex scene between two humans, nothing even shown. And then in the next story, it turned out they were married. Yeah, that was a quick little recon. <laughs> yes. You could kind of see what was happening again if you were reading the stories back to back over the time. And then all of a sudden it became that everybody started out as nurses and then some people became doctors after they were becoming a nurse. And some of the later stories kind of is like, yeah, it's like, oh, no, no one could be so... Uh, it's too complicated to treat all these different aliens. But then, you know, at some point, some reader probably pointed out veterinarians do that all the time. It's like, so yeah, they even brought out like one of the minor characters with a vet. It's like, yeah, there's a stop to our readers. It's like, yes, we know that was a kind of stupid thing to say. <laughs> so it's like, it, but again, it gives you a very interesting view because the 60s and frankly, 1960s started out as the 50s. Um, is a different world than today, you know. And you can see things so much more clearly now than you could then. And that's one of the tricks of being a writer. You've got to be able to look at things mm -hmm. from different points of view. Um, okay, so we've talked about the various, how do you create your dictionaries? And we've gone around the robin on that one. Um, what have we, we've talked about, Man, we've got a little bit about manuals of style. There's the Chicago manual style somebody mentioned. Actually, Kathleen mentioned it. I don't blame her. I would never buy buy it physically. I'd do it online because it is updated a lot, much faster. There's AP style. We've talked about different ones with historical. Go over to you, please. Fedora. Well, in addition to the things that we have talked about, we have talked about the style of writing. We have talked about having accurate history and accurate worlds, accurate science, so knowledge, you might say. We also are wordsmiths, yes. and thesauruses certainly relate to that, but another one, most particularly for poets, but everyone, I think, can certainly take advantage of having a rhyming dictionary, because sometimes... You need to have the right word, and if you can't find the right word, sometimes a rhyming word will do. Yeah, maybe. Uh, um, not to pop on. It's like, yeah, it depends. Um, when I was songwriting, I used a rhyming dictionary. It's very helpful. They are. Yeah. The word that I wanted wasn't necessarily always in the rhyming dictionary, but it definitely helped me to like think outside of whatever box I was thinking in, and then and then the right word would come. Okay. And you will please people by using those devices. Yeah. Brad. I was just going to throw out real quick, there's a great uh, rhyming uh, online dictionary uh, that's used for poets and uh, 
I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically like rhyme online or something. Rhyme, you know, rhyme words or just type in rhyming words and pop up. Perfect. I actually want to come back to that concept of what what, we, what sites we use online in our diction as our dictionaries or our reference books. Um, first off, the Ryan, and then we'll then let's ask that question about online. Um, so related to the Ryan and the poetry, um, one of the things I've been doing lately as I journal in the morning before I write um, is I've been reading my favorite poet, Robert Frost, and then I'll, I'll actually write word for word down the poem that I'm reading to really like let it sink in, let it kind of soothe in. Um, and it's given me a really good appreciation not only for the difference in the time that he's writing, but he thinks the world is different. He's, he's like he's like borderline industrial, pre-industrial, and so like the mindset puts me in a different place. But but the way he uses punctuation um, in poetry is like right now is making me rethink how I essentially use um, punctuation in poetry because I'll always poetry in that I just um the way he uses it. Um, it's given me a new appreciation for how I use it myself. Cool. So let's switch over to the online, continuing about online. What are some online sites do you rely on a lot or would you go to a lot for your research? And obviously we're going to say Wikipedia is out there. <laughs> it is, I call it the diving board or the springboard. They pump me into it. Sometimes I do only need what Wikipedia has. But that's not, that's only if I'm really doing something surface. Is there any sites that you use a lot or would you recommend with what you do in your fantasy writing, mystery writing, steampunk, well, steampunk, and so forth? Ryan? Uh, of course, uh, steampunk.com. Um, I really like the Wikipedia site. Um, I was hot. Uh, in elementary school, it stuck with me ever since, was that I'll try to use different words in each sentence. Um, if you find yourself repeating, uh, find a synonym. And so if I make a point, even with, with the character names, um, I'll find different ways to identify that character line by line. Um, so you don't see words repeating themselves too much uh, as you go along. I'll go, I guess I'll go next. As before, I do write across different genres, so I do do some stuff that deals with criminal, I write about criminal investigation a lot. So I will look at sites that deal with criminal investigation, private investigator sites. Um, some of them have blogs. There's some PI magazines out there that are pretty good online, and they also, there's a podcast that has professional private investigators talking about the business. I mean, when I say, hey, let's talk about private investigators, you're, of course, picturing the mystery of the story, you know, as I'm talking about writing it. But in the background, how the heck they make money? How do they charge their bills? How they get licensed? All that stuff. Well, these sites have that information, or they talk about it on their blog, and you actually hear what it's like to be a private investigator. Enough that, hey, okay, I can't be a private eye, but I know a lot from them how to make it feel like I'm writing about a private investigator. And there's some of them, they've got their own books out there. Yeah, those are interesting books. Um, and they will walk you through different how to do investigations, including how to find any information on any body that you need. So sometimes looking yourself up is very interesting to see what's out there online. And I'm just going to shut up at that point because I've got a look of horror, horror coming from Kathleen. It's horrified curiosity. Yeah, no. We'll talk. We'll talk later. Um, also, you said anybody, and I heard a space between those words, and then I didn't hear a space between those words in retrospect, and I'm curious about both of those now. <laughs> yes, and I'm not going to answer. <laughs> not on the mic. Off mic, we're visiting. Off mic, Go ahead, please, Fedora. Just as follow up to yours, Lawrence Block has some great blogs. That to relate to crime and criminality, that uh, if you do write that kind of thing, you might be interested in. Cool. So then, a lot of, a lot of the professional blogs out there. I know I popo blogs sometimes. Me now blogging, but there's a lot of professional blogs out there that will help. 
Uh, there's also a blog site that I will, or a site I go to from time to time, and when I'm trying to figure out body language, um, there is, I'm pulling it up now, if my computer wants to behave itself. Doesn't have everything I need on it, but it's still an interesting take, and I'm waiting for the internet. Da, da, da. Dr. Lillian Glass, First Lady of Communication. But she has a body language blog, which all about body language that helps out. Because I don't like to say, oh, I don't like to say all the time, oh, he's angry. Let's show that anger in how the character is moving and so forth. Over to you, Brad. Cool. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to throw out a couple of uh, my favorite online resources. Uh, first off, and these are for the writers out there, stuff like Jane Friedman and Janet Reed. Uh, both of them have blogs that they maintain Maintain that are... Jan, Jane Friedman is all about the business of writing, uh, and she will give you a million resources, uh, whether you're a freelancer or a novelist or whatever. And Janet Reed is an agent, and she will let you into the mindset of, uh, you know, kind of what's going on on that side of the world. Um, so those are both very cool things. Uh, TheWriteLife.com is a great little resource for writers, uh, uh, so definitely run out and check that out. Uh, but I would also throw out that there are a ton of great YouTube channels. Um, and in fact, I'm going to throw out one of my favorites, which is Just Write, um, which is an amazing, uh, he's a great breaker down of uh, story and uh, everything like that. And uh, it's just a great YouTube series. Um, you're only about you know 10 minutes long each or so. Uh, but he does some really great things. Uh, personal shout out to uh, his breakdown of The Hobbit, which is uh, an amazing uh, breakdown of why that movie is not as good as it could have been. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so uh, there are some others on YouTube, but Just Right is my favorite. Um, I'm going to come back to something here, Brad, you opened up in a moment, um, but we'll go to Fedora first. Just along the same lines, well, a source that I keep finding myself going to very frequently now that I'm trying to edit something, uh, an audio edit, mm -hmm. is Audacity. Mm -hmm. There are lots of uh, how-to videos on how to edit in Audacity, and they are just wonderful. They really are. <laughs> because otherwise, how are you going to know? And also, Udemy has like, some great cheap courses out there, and that's Think Academy, but it's, U, but it's spelled U to me instead. Um, fantastic. I'm going to jump. So, sorry, while you're throwing that out, the Khan Academy, which is the grade 12 or grade through 12, has classes uh, on all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, well. Khan Academy, definitely. And a quick shout out to the universities, many of whom have classes on this. Uh, big shout out to MIT, mm -hmm. who all of their courses online. Yep. And Derek Kepner has uh, some courses on marketing that are pretty good, some of which are free. And that is going to take me to where I was going to go. So, um, a couple of the sites out there. I'm going to jump into the business side of being a writer. Hey, I'm sorry to say it, we're all business people here. I know a lot of the, there's some people out there going, no, we're just artists. No, we're not. We're writers, oh. which means we're business. And two sites, One, they're both free, but we all should be looking at. It's not going to have everything we ever need, but it's going to have some great advice on how to run your small business because we are small businesses. And one is U.S. Small Business Administration. They've got lots of great articles out there. They've got um, ways to get in touch with them about stuff and so forth. I will warn you, usually they're used to dealing with a, hey, I want to open up a coffee shop, or I want to open up a bookstore, or I want to open up this type of business, more than us being here writing. But that doesn't mean you don't want to listen to them. They've got some good stuff out there. Another one is from a magazine that I think you can still buy physically. In fact, I know you can. I've, now I'm saying that. But online, it's Entrepreneur. And because that's what we are, we are all entrepreneurs, and that's got some great articles and suggestions and so forth. It's just something to keep your eyes on, look at from time to time. They help sometimes even guide how to handle social media and so forth. So, throwing that out there, also finances and all that good 
good, lovely stuff that none of us ever really want to deal with. Um, what about some other business resources out there? Hey, I'm going to throw out both LaShonda Hoffman's book about building your writing community. I don't have it in front of me to read the title. And, of course, Bob Baker, who we've had on the site, on the show a couple of times, a lot of his books. All right, Fedora, and then over to Kathleen. Fedora. I would add that most writers groups, like Sisters in Crime, for example, have an assortment of resources in their archives that you can tap into, and of course some online promotional things that they will do for you if you are members. So it's a good thing to be members of various writers' organizations. Like St. Louis Writers Guild, as well exactly. as St. Louis Sisters in Crime. I've had to add mine to them. <laughs> Over to Kathleen. Uh, you asked about books, and there's one by Jeff Vandermeer called Book Life that kind of goes into uh, both the writing and the business aspects of being a writer, being a professional writer. Cool. Over to Ryan and then to Brad. Uh, this is one of the more general to like life books, but... Um... I, when I read Bob Doss, Love Does, it, it blew my mind and changed my life. But I know it's not kind of like kitschy, but it's true. Um, and it was very freeing because it helped me shed a lot of unspoken assumptions I had about business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never realized until I read the book. So check it out. Okay. Cool. Brad. Okay. Uh, this is more for the people who are getting ready to publish their books. Uh, but Smashwords actually has, uh, has a free kind of how to uh, publish your book, uh, your ebook. So if you're looking at a publishing ebook, uh, I highly recommend tracking down that. It's all over the internet. Um, and there are more. Uh, in fact, there's a couple of references for KDP as well uh, and such like that. There are a ton of uh, kind of PDF resources out there. Uh, for people who are looking to learn how to put their book online or put their book up on, you know, for themselves and I'll kind of set them all up, I highly recommend checking those out. Uh, in fact, uh, I think it's Jane Friedman even has a checklist of everything that you need uh, moving forward uh, to kind of do before the launch of your book. Um, so these are amazing online resources that are wonderful, wonderful things for people who are getting ready to either publish their book or, you know, put their book online or whatever. Excellent. I'm oh, sorry, my computer's making a lot of noise here because I want to look up something. Um, okay. Also, too, anything else on the business side? If not, there's something which I forgot to mention. Okay, Brad? Yeah, I threw out one more. Uh, so uh, I highly recommend Writer's Digest. Uh, the yes. site itself has a number of resources from successful query letters to articles on all different types of ways to write, ways to find an agent, ways to get published, uh, the do's and don'ts of the industry, all that kind of stuff. But one of the things I would really throw out are the Writer's Digest webinars. Uh, they're only about 90 bucks. It's a couple hour webinar. The webinar is usually done by an agent or some sort of marketing professional or something like that. It generally comes with a critique of your work, especially if it's an agent. So it could be a great way to get a critique out of an agent. Uh, guaranteed, they looked at your work, read through it, and gave you feedback on it. Um, so it can just be a really great thing. I have done it numerous times. I have learned a ton. There are a variety of topics. They are almost, I think there's one every week. Um, so, you know, check them out. That, you know, it does cost a little bit of money, but mm-hmm. I have I have never walked away from one, uh, you know, not having gotten a bunch of stuff out of it. And they answer every single question, including the ones that didn't get answered on air or during the webinar. Right. Um, quick, quick, quick thing, since you brought Briar's Digest, I'm going to throw out there also other magazines. And by the way, as far as I know, I think every genre has their own writing magazine. Definitely, I know mystery writers do. I know science fiction writers do, and horror, last time I looked, did as well. Um, but also, just on general, the writer, which is the Writer's Digest's main competition, also has a great site and great magazine. Poet and Writers has, has a lot of information in there that will help as well. I think they've also got, one, one if not both of them have webinars. Please double-check me on that. 
because it's been a while since I've looked at them. Um, but those are some great things. What I forgot as we were talking and I just recalled, if you want a site that has documentaries to help you do your research, yes, it's going to cost a membership. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. But look up Curiosity Stream. It's pretty cheap. And they are straightforward. They're documentaries on everything from science to political science to history, you name it. doesn't have everything in the world, but it's got a great selection. Over to you, Fedora. One thing we definitely should not forget. Libraries. Your public libraries Amen. are much more expensive than they ever were. Now you can find many, many things sitting at home online. They have databases of newspapers from way back when. You can download a book to read, one that's brand new, <laughs> brand new ebook from, uh, which they get actually from Amazon at the St. Louis Public Library. You download it to your Kindle and you have it for two weeks without paying anything. Just having a library card. And they have wonderful reference librarians also. If you have a question that you absolutely can't find the answer to, hey, sick them on it. They'll find you something. And along with that, check out local university libraries. We'll have stuff as well. Your personal, your public library is your number one source. The college libraries are great. Um, and then also, too, sometimes, depending on what you're writing, I mean, there are there might be libraries at various museums that you that you can talk to librarians and maybe borrow a book. Or if not, they'll find the information for you. Over to you. Don't Ryan. forget the Gutenberg and project, Gut oh, gosh, which yeah. has huge numbers of manuscripts that are in the public domain from a hundred years ago and earlier than that. Uh -huh. And there are also a lot of transcripts of college theses from uh, students and some very powerful scientists that are also in the public domain. Right. Over to Kathleen because she did a dovetail, then to Ryan. Um, so you can, there are apps on my phone that are from the library, so I can get audiobooks mm -hmm. and um, ebooks and watch TV episodes and watch movies on my phone because I have a library card. And the other thing is the library that you have a card with doesn't necessarily have everything, but generally they're open to suggestions for what to purchase. So there is a form, at least with the St. Louis County Library System, that you can fill out if there's a, something that they don't have that you think they should. Right. And there's interlibrary exchanges, yes. too. Yes. Yes. Interlibrary loan is awesome. <laughs> Ryan, over to you. Yeah, only interlibrary exchanges, um, especially with university libraries. Um, like I said earlier, I love first-hand sources. Um, I was able to get my, my, I had to stay in the library to read it, um, but I was able to get my hands on the, the, a, first, uh, a first edition of, uh, of when they first translated old Welsh um, mythology into English, officially for the first time, and it was so cool. Like, it's one thing to read the information, it's another one to have, like, history, like, Video of history in your hands. It's just incredible. Um, one of my formative moments, real quick, um, from when I was little, growing up in Portland, Oregon, um, at the downtown Portland Library, uh, we were on a half work and it was like glass bulletproof case in the center of the library all lit up. Um, they had one of the original um, um, manuscripts um, that they believe that Aristotle wrote. And I didn't even know where I thought it was at the time, but I was like, this is so cool. Like, I have no idea what this is, and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, and being able to get so near something and, and have to hold it in your hand sometimes is it's one of the things that makes me want to write. Cool. And with that, I'm going to call it, because we are close to time, I'm going to call it. So hopefully... Our discussion about our libraries and our resources help those who are beginner writers or those who are still trying to break out or even continue on. And they make great Christmas presents. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> and with that, tune in next week for yet another interesting topic in the writing industry. And please share our, share our podcast with your friends. 
We are going to be moving platforms sometime in 2019. That sometime is going to be between a choice between January and March. The debate is whether to do it at the beginning of the year or at the beginning of a new season, which will be season six. Wow. Is that a thought? I never thought we would go six seasons or more. Um, and coming up, I think we will air in January, will be our 250th episode. What? So that is coming. I want to thank everybody who has listened to us um, online, through iTunes and so forth. We have, we've, we've made a business decision to kind of kill off a of YouTube it's not not receiving that much attention, but we love everybody who has been listening to us, and thank you for joining. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.